0: I guys, grab a seat. I want to say welcome to new life and welcome to a brand new year, first Sunday of 2024. Uh, by a show of hands, how many of you are happy to flip the page on 23 and open a brand new chapter in 24? I think most of us are. For, uh, for some reason, 23 was just a tough year uh, for, for many of us. And, uh, man, we don't know what 24 has in store for us, but we do know the God that will be with us uh, through the ups and downs and challenges of 2024. Um, If if we haven't had a chance to meet yet, maybe you're new or newer to new life, my name's Chris, and I get to be one of your pastors here. And I had uh, fully intended to uh, launch a brand new sermon series that I've been studying for for some time on the Sermon on the Mount, Uh, but God had other plans. I think sometimes God uh, looks at our plans and just kind of giggles and... um, some of you may know uh, my father, who's a member here at, at New Life, preaches several times a year for me. And many of you have been praying for him for uh, a number of weeks now as he's uh, faced a lot of health challenges, almost died in the hospital uh, just a few uh, weeks ago. And, uh, again, thank you for uh, your prayers. He's actually sitting in the, the front row uh, with us this morning. And, um, against, uh, again, yeah, praise be to God. He hears our prayers against my better judgment and probably the better judgment of his doctor, he's asked to preach. And uh, who am I to tell my father no after he almost died? And uh, so he's here. He's going to be bringing the word uh, to us in, in just a moment. He felt like he had a word from the Lord to encourage our faith family. And so... Uh, look forward uh, to that. So Joe Lazarus Dillon is going to be bringing the word in just a moment, but not before I pray for our time together. So Dad, you make your way up here as, as we pray. Father, we come to you on the on the edge, on the precipice of a brand new year with all the possibilities that lay out in front of us. And uh, God, we we don't know uh, what what's in store. Um, hopefully, a lot of it will be good. And the reality is, much of it uh, may be a struggle. It may be hard. Uh, But we know the God who goes before us, the God who goes with us, the God who goes behind us. And so we have great confidence as we step into 2024, not because we're so awesome, but because you're so awesome and you're so big. And so, Father, I pray as we open up these ancient, Holy Spirit-filled, Holy Spirit-breathed words in Psalm 118. God, the book of Psalms speaks to our hearts and our souls in a way that uh, nothing else in Scripture does. It touches our emotions. It touches our motives. It uh, touches our circumstances. I pray that you would open our hearts, open our minds, open our spirits to receive a fresh and vibrant word from the living God of this universe this morning. I pray for strength for Joe, that he would be able to get through uh, this message uh, for your glory. And we love you. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: so we can uh, stay rooted in what I think God would say to us uh, each individually this morning uh, through His Word. We're going to get to that. There's two kind of things I feel like I need to deal with before we get into the text. My voice is still recovering, so I'm not as animated, nor will I be as loud, which you may be grateful for. Um, But I want to say these two things. Number one is I owe a great... um, degree of gratitude to the, the body of Christ here. Uh, I know I'm not here much. I travel a lot. i uh, traveled back in my career and was usually somewhere else on Sundays and been have been pastoring churches uh, that are looking for pastors since I retired. So not a very good member, you know, just kind of show up from time to time. But um, during this period of time, it's been difficult to do much of anything other than just kind of focus on the daily task and uh, we have had meals every day since I've been home and I don't take that for granted for a lot of reasons one I know how busy people are number two is a lot of you who have prepared a meal for Heather and I uh, don't we I mean we didn't recognize the names. some of them we do many of them we didn't recognize the names. so um, you know you took time out of your busy day to prepare a meal for somebody that you probably don't know very well, and I'm deep deeply grateful for that, and you're to be commended. God has provided for us during this season in ways that are really extraordinary in a lot of different ways, and and He often uses the body of Christ as other as well as other mechanisms and other means, but He has used you in very powerful ways. When uh, my wife, who has struggled with uh, Kind of a lifelong illness, or at least since her early, uh, late teen years, uh, on and off. I always, I don't want to say I pride myself, but I do what I can to provide and take care of her. She's my really my prized possession uh, that God has given to me. So I kind of always, you know, I guess mas- masculine pride or something. But I found myself for the first time where I couldn't do anything for her, <clears throat> and I couldn't uh, really intercede or take care of. And she, you know, she had to get me travel long distances, uh, and somebody in the church provided <coughs> hotel lodging for her. So all those organizational things that normally, you know, families have to take care of, uh, you guys took care of. God just raised you up, and I wanna, I wanna say how much uh, I'm grateful for that. Number two is I'm, I'm a pastor, so I kind of wanna, I want to vent. Uh, Uh, one of my great frustrations in the church pastoring is we do such a poor job of taking care of one another. And I I know sometimes as a pastor, you know, I'd hear somebody, you know, this is kind of an exaggeration, but, oh, we're so-and-so. Well, they died six months ago. Oh, great. Uh, you, You know, you get larger as a church, people disappear. And if you don't call, if you don't tell a pastor, if you don't tell people, uh, hey, listen, this is a time I could really use prayer. I don't know why ego and pride keeps us from doing that, but it does. And I would really encourage you. I think the church here has systems in place. Organization's a good thing. But there are times that this is the reason we exist, or one of the reasons is the body of Christ. And uh, so I would encourage you to let your pastors and your friends know so that people in the congregation can be praying for you uh, during your time in need and God can raise up, you know, somebody to kind of help you through those trying times. So I had <coughs> one experience that was very challenging to me. A dear friend of ours, that's a member of a wonderful church here in town. Uh, she made a meal for us and came over. My wife is a good friend of hers. And uh, they were talking and she was walking <coughs> out the door and uh, just thanking Heather, uh, Heather was thanking her profusely for cooking for us. And all of a sudden, the lady wheeled around and came back and took my wife and put uh, my wife's face in her hands and kind of, you know, kind of like shut up and listen. <laughs> she said, When I had cancer, you were the only one who cooked for me. In a good church, very active, very well-known in the congregation. Now, I'm not, not going to say anything other than the fact that it ought not be that way, and you are to be commended. Thank you so much for taking care. Now, so I don't, people have asked me before the service, you know, what happened. And Because of limited time and, and, and breath capacity, uh, let me just kind of give you a real quick synopsis. I, I, I went in to have just an elective one-day surgery, If you're familiar with the old sitcom Gilligan's Island, I paid for the one hour tour and I ended up on a desert island. Uh, uh, Essentially, probably because the antibiotics had a reaction with my body, they're not really sure, the doctors have done some speculation, but you know, in the end they basically said, we we don't have an explanation for this And, and and kind of the cascade as deep as it went is not something we've seen much of. Uh, but my my kidneys began to fail with other things. And it was just kind of like every day, uh, it was worse. They kept anticipating maybe the next day, uh, things would get better. I began to, uh, I guess my body was filling with toxins and I began to have excruciating pain uh, and uh, inability to sleep, which you don't do in the hospital anyway, but uh, the pain kind of made that, even mitigated that even more. Uh, They brought in a team of doctors here and uh, they basically uh, began to kind of panic and say, we can't, uh, this is beyond us. We're not able to deal with this. Uh, We need to get you somewhere. And then they'd come in and say, we're trying to get you somewhere, but uh, you picked a a fine time to get sick because there's no hospitals anywhere that we can get you into. So it took them two days with declining uh, numbers in the kidneys uh, you know, kind of falling off a cliff type situation, and other things beginning to kind of go haywire, and uh, and God raised up two nurse advocates. I'm not going to get into that, but you know, it's obvious to me that their reaction. And uh, the way they uh, went to administrators and kind of laid down the one of them had uh, worked in another hospital with patients and basically said, "This is what you're you're up against, and this is what's going to happen if you if you don't act." And so things kind of intensified. There was a lot of drama involved. Uh, a four-hour ambulance drive, which was an, an, another story, to get me into UNC, uh, where they had the specialist who could deal with this to some degree, and. Uh, it was really a godsend because they, these guys did deal with stuff like this and they began to you know, work and they had a hard time uh, getting anything going in the right direction until you know, maybe 10 days <coughs> into it. I found out later there's a pretty high mortality rate within seven days when you have this kind of cascade. And then there's another 36% that never regained fully function. I'm on high doses of steroids. Uh, and I will be through January, and we'll probably, get, at that time, we'll begin to evaluate uh, exactly what my future will be in regards to that. But I'm obviously much better. I couldn't uh, any other time other than today. I probably, up until this point, couldn't have got up uh, and spoken with you. So that's just kind of the short story. I appreciate your prayers. I, I appreciate your concern. Uh, it, it really has been life-giving. Now, the interesting thing to me is... Um, I didn't want this morning to just be a point of personal testimony. Uh, I really wanted to, wanted to preach something that had more rootedness and an a, a anchor that was more firm than whatever experiences I've had, and that's of course, to me, the Scripture It's the Word of God, the way God has preserved His Word for us and the way He's worked over the ages in men and women, and, and in this case, it's in the life of David. Psalms 118, as is, is you need to understand the context, is a, is a hymn of reflection. Uh, Now, a lot of psalms, when you get into David, uh, are are psalm of the moment. I'm so glad that God put the psalms there because a psalm of the moment might sound like this. A synopsis of a psalm of the moment might sound like this. God, where are you? Where are you, God? Uh, and, and, And all of us, sooner or later in life, we have those moments where... We're in a battle, we're in a struggle, we're facing adversity, and in that moment we ask the question, those of us who are followers of Christ, God, where are you in all this? Uh, But this is not there. David is now looking back over a life of battles and worries and concerns and struggles, and he is reflecting in light of that. And I've been able to do a lot of that, and God had already given me this text to preach before My experience, so I really felt like it was something that he did want me to share, and and I want I want to read the first five verses to kind of give you his reflection, and I want you to see how extraordinary it is because uh, this is not this is not a life without adversity, this is not a life without struggle, this is not a life without suffering, and and I could go into a lot of detail and it just lengthens the sermon which I don't need to do. But one of the great apostasies of the American church is that if you have faith and if you are following God, you will not face battles, you will not face adversity, you will not face suffering. And in church that there's nothing more opposite from the truth of biblical revelation than the reality that this life is filled with challenges. You will face challenges. Just prepare yourself. Don't you know it's kind of like We always do with a a new year. Uh, And my wife has said this several times in in different ways where she'd say, you know, 2023, she was sick for half of it. And then we had this joyous Christmas surprise, uh, you know, at at the end of the year. and, And Heather's attitude has kind of been, don't let the back door hit you on the way out. But you know, the truth of the matter is, I'm old enough to know that you have no more control over 2024 than you had over 2023. Or 2022, or 2021, or 2020. You and I just do not exercise control over the universe, and you can, you can, you can, you can do all the squats. You won't do all the lifts. You can run, you know, whatever you want to do. You're you're not in control, and that's one of the things that God teaches us through the battles and the struggles in life is is our absolute uh, inability to control. So what it comes down to is David, in, in in my myself is reflecting back over a life. Uh, there are things that in the battle, there are things after the battle that become, that, that, that there's clarity that there's not during just life. And, and you come up with this sense of there are things, there are things that really matter. There are things that really matter and, and most of the things that I've occupied my life with really don't. I, I wish I could somehow embrace, I, give you all a t-shirt or, so, or something to just kind just of get this point across to you. And that's this, in the end, when life is condensed, much of our anxieties, worries, and concerns and activities won't sustain us nor even benefit us on the day of battle, on our day of battle, on your day of battle. So much of what you bring in here this morning, and I, I, I want to be kind in this, but I want to, somehow, if I, could, if I could alleviate you of this, this reality spiritually today and send you out of here with this understanding it is, is that many of the things that you're worried about, many of the things that keep you up at night in the end will not matter. So why? I mean, this is, this is one of the many purposes of God in teaching his children what really does matter. And how we can leave ourselves and leave behind those things that anchor us and keep us from the goodness of God, the pleasure of God, the joy of God, from knowing God in His fullness before we meet Him face to face. So we're all constantly being robbed by our own selves, the flesh, and our enemy, our spiritual enemy, who stalks us to keep us from that which God designed us to experience and enjoy before we even meet Him. I mean, everything that is good in life today is a foretaste of what's coming in heaven I mean so so if, 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 if there's nothing else we could do this morning it would be move in that direction till we begin to decide to focus on things that matter now I want you to look at verse one if you would and we'll just go through those those first five verses give thanks to the Lord for he's good now before I go any further <laughs> let me point out to you one more time David is reflecting on adversity His first statement is a foundational statement of where difficulties and confidence in God has brought him to. In other words, without the battles, David doesn't get here. But with the battles and learning his lessons, this is David's declaration. Give thanks to the Lord for his good. His faithful love endures forever. Let Israel say, his faithful love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, his faithful loves endures forever. It's like David is, he's, he's recollecting of all these things that have gone wrong in his life. Think about your life. All these things, all the heartache, the anxieties, the challenge that you faced. And when David, when those things are running through his mind, his declaration of foundation is, the Lord's mercy endures forever. I mean, this is experience speaking. He goes on and he says, Let those who fear the Lord say his faithful Lord endures forever. And then then here's the context of a situation. In verse 5, I called to the Lord in distress. And the Lord answered me, and he put me in a spacious place. I wanna I want to make a connection to you that that would almost be considered ludicrous in, in so many of our churches today. Is, is that the spacious places of the Lord do not exist apart from distress. The, the spacious places of the Lord do not exist apart from distress. It is the distress, it is the challenge, it is the adversity, it is the suffering of this life that God working with his children moves us into places we, we did not even know existed. So there's, there's two things going on is we've got to understand that there are days without battles. And those days are foundational building days. You know, there, there's nothing wasted. Your, your life on the scripture says that your life is like a vapor. It's brief here on this planet. And so we're just kind of hustling and bustling through this life. And we have, we have periods of times, you know, even as believers, where we're, we're thinking, you know, it's just, you know, today we just got to get these tasks accomplished. And, you know, it's just kind of a boring day. And we're going to sit down and we're going to watch this and it's over. But the reality is that that is a measure of time, a measure of minutes and hours that God is actually working in your life with a purpose to prepare you for the battles that are coming so that he might reveal himself in a greater way to you. And so, you know, there's a lot of days that we just kind of waste without understanding. But what I've discovered, one of the things that I've discovered over my life, and one of the things I've discovered through this is that God has a purpose. Now, that's one of those preacher truisms that when we often connect, you know, when we're feeling good, we can say, oh yeah, praise the Lord, amen. But when something happens that is tragedy, then that becomes a little bit more difficult to say that God has a purpose. When Heather and I uh, we pastored a church that gave us a sabbatical in the way that you gave Chris a sabbatical, and we went to Ireland and in Scotland uh, trying to kind of follow some of the movements of God, and you know just have a good time to be together as a couple. And um, we found out that everybody in Ireland and Scotland had a castle in their backyard you know some kind of norman castle or something like that and so we toured all the castles and one of the things we discovered is often the families that had you know been in those castles they had these these huge tapestries and those tapestries were often rich and had deep you know familiar significance and you know you would look at them and think gosh how long did it take for somebody to make that and you know, I wouldn't have seen all the significance and meaning of that. And sometimes what they would do is they would flip over the tapestry and let you see the backside. And the backside, you know, was just a jumbled, you know, it was just threads. There was no rhyme or reason looking at the backside of the tapestry. One of the things that I've learned is that in our lives there will come times where we'll say as a faith statement and that's all that it is and all that it can be in the moment is that God has a purpose. But the reality is many times it will be a tapestry. We we won't see what God is doing except by faith. Now sometimes like David what we'll do is we'll live long enough to reflect back and say ah yes I'm beginning to see it. Sometimes I'm convinced that we will die Having never seen the tapestry. We'll just see the threads. But by faith in those moments, we we trust in God that God is doing something that is beyond whatever mental capacities and enlightenment that we have, so that when we step into heaven, either one or two things will happen. God will make clear the meaning of the tapestry of our lives. Or number two, it won't make a bit of difference on that day. It won't make any difference. So, so God is always in, in these days when we're feeling pretty good and things are going along, God has a purpose and you either advantage yourself for that purpose or you don't and that is preparing yourself for the battle. So let me, let me give you a, a little spiritual insight that is not really insight at all. <laughs> it's pretty clearly spread out in scripture but you know, I can remember struggling as a younger guy with what God's purpose in my life is. And as a, as especially after I became a Christian, you know, my, my purpose before I became a Christian was to live for myself. After I became a Christian, it was to live for God. And so I began to, in my youth and my strength, thinking, well, what can I do for God? What can I do for God? And so over the years, as I faced battles and struggles and suffering, what I've learned is that God's purpose for me is less self-dependency and more God-dependency. <laughs> Isn't that a strange thing. Essentially, for those of us that are following Jesus, the rest of our lives is about leaning less on self and more on him. In fact, one of the great lessons that I've learned is God did not put me here on earth to do anything great for him. I mean, there's always someone who can do whatever I can do as well as I can do it, and there's a lot of people who can do it a whole lot better. But the reality is God needs nothing from me. So the lesson here is if God didn't put me on earth to do something great for Him, why did He put me on earth? And this is the reason. He put me on earth to learn how great of God He is. That's what life is about. That's what this life is about. It is a purposeful discovery of not only the sufficiency of God, but the abundance of God. And and, and it's such a tragedy that so many of us you know, kind of live our lives with that as kind of a theory, theoretical acknowledgement of reality, but pragmatically, you and I never experience that. Let me give you a second point is, the, the days of battles, those times that we struggle, those times that we suffer, and there's all, there's all different type of tests or times of testing. That's when the foundation gets tested. There's little tests, there's big tests. You know, when you're driving down 240 or 40, And those New York tags cut you off. And you think some things like, you know, I hope you meet Jesus soon. That's a little test, but it's a test. I mean, all day, every day, your internet goes out right in the middle of your favorite Netflix movie, right? That's a test, test. Transmission goes bad, kids misbehave. You know, you get the flu right at Christmas time. have to kind of cancel your family time. I mean, there's all kinds of, of tests. And all those tests allowed by God are purposeful in the sense that He is not absent from your reality, from your suffering, from your challenges. And so that, those are just tests that are coming into our life in those days of battle. Here's another reality that I've want that i learned and I want you to see clearly is you, you won't have what you need on the day of battle if you don't build the foundation now. Have you ever heard the phrase, except for grace? I'm so grateful for the grace of God, aren't you? I am. But I want to say something, and I don't want it to be misinterpreted, but, but I want you to hear me. Grace is like, I'm a gardener, and every once in a while in the garden, there will be some tomato that comes up that I didn't plant, or some pumpkin, or something will come up that is maybe, you know, a genetic descendant from a hybrid uh, that came up, and we'll watch it come up. and and we'll get fruit out of that particular seed that I I didn't till the soil for it. I didn't fertilize it. It made it over a winter or two. I, I didn't do anything as a gardener to deserve that fruit, but I get the fruit. Church, that's grace. God in your day of battle will give you grace. But there's more. God to the gardener gives abundance. For the man or the woman who tills the soil, fertilizes the soil, removes the rock from the soil, who sows the seed, who nurtures the plant, they bear fruit. Now what David is saying is essentially over a lifetime, as I've faced my struggles, as i faced my suffering, as I've faced my enemies, I have sowed the seed over and over again of running to God. God, I am not able. I have not the resources. I don't have the strength. And time after time after time, God's sufficiency has been there. And what happens is during those times, you go go beyond grace and God gives you abundance. I'm going to give share with you some of the things in the end that God really showed me and how he was going to do that in my life but but that's that's a reality uh grace is free and unmerited but there's more that God gives and that is abundance number two is this look if you would at verse 12 through verse 15 Verse 12 is kind of where the context of David is remembering what happened to him. And he says, they surrounded me like bees. They were extinguished like a fire among thorns. In the name of the Lord, I destroyed them. You pushed me hard to make me fall. Have you ever been there before? If you haven't, you will be, right? Pushed. Circumstances. Just just circumstance piling on top of circumstance, and you know you could take one thing, and, and uh, you know you, you, sometimes we cry out and say, "Well, I just, I, I just trust, I just trust that God won't give me more than I can bear." And then one day, I, I always said that, and I read that in 2 Corinthians, where Paul says, "And God gave me more than I could bear, so that I would, I would learn not to have confidence in me, but in, but in the God who raises the dead." Will will God crush you to demonstrate His sufficiency to you? He absolutely will, child of God. And until, until, like David said, until that distress comes, until those battles come, it's through those battles. Heather and I, one time when we lived in... Costa Rica years ago before it was developed we were walking down the beach and we saw what we thought was you know a group of a massive horde of horseflies coming down the beach and all of a sudden we were in the middle of them and there was this loud angry buzzing sound and all of a sudden I got stung in the earlobe and on the finger and it really hurt and I'm I'm not allergic to bees or anything, but my wife is. And so there was a river, and I said run, and we, we ran and we dove into the river. And I mean this this horde of bees was was right behind, and we could just hear zzz, you know, all around us. And we, we dove in, and and they kind of went over us, and we went underwater, and waited a while came up, and there were two that stayed with us, and and they just would sit there, kind of out of arms reach, and uh, then they would dive, and I finally killed one of them. And we took out. We took it back to the hotel, and, and the guy said, "Oh yeah," he said, "those are African hillies," <laughs> and he said, "Last week an American scientist was stung to death up there, uh, where you guys were at, because they got him trapped in a crevice, and uh, and killed him." And D- David uses this analogy of just absolutely being overwhelmed. I mean, just everywhere there's in, you can't you you can't enumerate the enemies and the challenges that are coming against you. Uh, but where David ends up uh, after he says in confession you push me hard to fail is in verse 14 where he says the Lord is my strength and my song so David's confession is the confession of every believer who has plowed the ground and, and, and sold the soil and tended the farm and that is not not only is God sufficient for the battle of the day but God gives us a song in the battle gives us himself he gives us joy he gives us strength even in our dying God's presence is more than enough what David is saying here and what David's encouragement to us to consider is the battle is real your suffering your struggles are not somehow God's vendetta against you brother or sister it's not it's not a lack of faith it's not if you confess this or you know I'll have some prayer cloths for sale afterwards for a hundred bucks you can buy one you're going to be better you know I joke about that but it makes me angry that is not our God that is not who he is He is the all-sufficient shepherd of our soul. He is the one who cares. He is the one who pursues us. He is the one who loves us. He is the one who rescues us when we desire nothing of Him. Sometimes I'll say something in gratitude like, God, I love you so much. I love you so much. And then it dawns me, "I, I don't love you. I don't love you because I'm a lovely person or have love in me. I love you because of what you've done for me. I love you because of who you are. I love you because of your character. I love you because of your nature. You pursued me in my darkness and my rebellion. When I was shaking my fist at you, you sent your son to die on a cross for me. God, oh, how you love me. The battles are real. Well, let me just kind of close by saying this. The benefits are real. David closes it out in verse 24, and I want you to look at that. He says, This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. I think, I think David is kind of saying, Look, I, I've got a lot of grief over things that happened in the past. I really, based on what's happened in the past, the future 2024, (laughs) who knows? But this is what David is saying. He's saying, you know what? I'm bringing all of my past and I'm giving it to God. Some of you this morning, you struggle with past failures, past wounds, past defeats. What David is saying in the light of the Old Testament, which is even more true in the light of the New Testament, is you and I have this wonderful privilege of bringing our past and bringing it to the cross of Christ and laying it down and knowing that His love and His blood is more than sufficient to cover it all. It's been dealt with once and for all. You may not feel like it's been dealt with. You may be praying one of those psalms that David prayed in the moment where, God, where are you in all this? And it it is a task. It's an exercise. How many times in my life must I give back my past to the Lord? How many times can I take these accusatory voices in my mind of your unworthiness? How many times can I take this to the Lord and walk away from it saying, this is the day God has given to me I will rejoice and be glad in him in the future what are you worried about hey what are you worried about what's your concern what, what are you anxious about today? What is it that's troublingly, troubling you about tomorrow or the future? And, 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 and the answer is, is that in the days of battle, again, you learn that sufficiency of provision and care of the Lord, and you get up to a point in your life where you say, look, he's gotten me this far. Praise God, he will get me all the way home so why are you worried why 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 church why 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 are you giving yourself to things that in the end will not matter it's because we're distracted and deceived about the nature of the king that we serve let me just let me just mention the two benefits that i experienced and when i When I share some of this with you, it's kind of like, I don't want you to take this and say what God did in my time, God will do in your time. It's kind of like Moses, God spoke to Moses through a burning bush. And then Moses went and told the Israelites, God spoke to me through a burning bush. And then everybody said, well, you know, in order for God to speak, I need a burning bush. You know, you don't need Joe Dylan's experiences. God you're unique, and God will speak to you through ways. I think primarily by His spirit and His Word, but there are other things that God, especially, especially during the days of real difficult challenges and battles. So, as a young man, I began to—I uh, had no interest in the Word of God or things of God. And so, after I became a Christian, I knew I should read my Bible. And so, sometimes, you know, I read my Bible out of discipline. And there were many times the Lord met me. But, you know, I would consider myself more disciplined than some and less than many. You know, that's just kind of we're all on a spectrum somewhere. But, you know, I, I began as a young man to fill my, my mind with uh, the things of God, just the Word of God, because I often found it was contrarian to my thought patterns. God, I would read God's Scripture, and it just didn't line up with my normative manner of thinking about my circumstances in life. And so I began to consider that, you know, that is kind of a long osmosis of process of being confronted with. Uh, God saw a different reality than often the one in the moment that I was feeling. But I, I began to hide those things inadvertently in my life. And those things began to, you know, I consider myself, uh, some people I've noticed spiritually are like pine you know, they're easy to work with. I got a good friend who's, a, who's kind of a master carpenter, and he described to me one time the different way that woods work. And, you know, some are easy to work with, some are easy to stain. And he made the comment that I, I reminded him more of locust, uh, that, you know, hard, hard, hard. And, um, you know, I am, you know, somewhat of a stubborn nature and, you know, have a lot of my life, you know, kind of been resolute. And trying to do things which I pridefully saw as strength but it turns out to be weakness Uh, but God is gracious and he's merciful and he works and he works and he works and so God has spent a lifetime to where at some point in time where I began to till that soil of my heart and realized it was good for me and then just one other thing is I began as a 20 year old I really didn't understand biblical worship And it's probably in my forties or maybe even my fifties that I began to understand what it meant to enter into the presence of God and worship, which is still a mystery to me, and I really don't consider myself very knowledgeable on this, other than the fact that I do know what it means to be in the presence of the Lord. And, you know, it reminds you know, it's kinda almost like saying to you, I loved and admired my wife for thirty years, but we never became intimate for thirty. And I'm sure your response to that would be well, Joe, that would just be stupid. You know, to have the covenant of marriage, to sit on the couch, gaze at her beauty, be amazed at her kindness, love her with all your heart, and never touch her, never touch her. I believed all the truths of God. I, I tried to preach passionately those things that I knew were truth, but there began to be a period of time in my life where God began to teach me what it meant to enter into the innerness of my soul and to worship Him. I'm not going to go into any description, but I want to say that one of the things that matters in life is your spirituality. And to the degree that you build the foundation today will be to the degree that you're ready for the battle tomorrow. The difference often in the battle will be if you're not prepared, God will give you grace, but if you are prepared, God will give you abundance. Psalms 23 is one I've read many times at funerals, but it really has taken on new life over the past two weeks for me. Grace is you're in the desert and you're about to die from thirst, and all of a sudden, under a shady rock, there is a big old jug of ice-cold artesian water. That's grace. Right in the middle of your misery and impending doom, the bees are swarming. God swoops in and gives you grace. But that's not Psalms 23. Psalms 23 is David is right in the middle of the desert, and all of a sudden he finds himself lying in green pastures next to a flowing stream and God has an apron on and has prepared a table and set a banquet to feed him in the midst of the biggest, deepest battles of life. That's abundance. Some of you will be satisfied with grace and I don't want to diminish grace. Grace is a wonderful thing, but God is a God of lavish abundance. Abundance. because you're not tilling the soil today, you'll miss his provision tomorrow. Let me just share with you that little thing that God did for me. Just for me. Not because I'm any better. Believe me. Um, As my mind began to not be able to function, I guess, the toxins. And I was having a hard time Stringing thoughts together and making my words work. Um, I thought, it, you know, maybe in hard times I would have safe places where I could retreat to good memories. You know, we all talk about building memories, but at that period of time, the battle was so severe. The memories were not there. There's, there was nothing there. There was there was the pain, and then there was this abstract inability to think. And, and all of a sudden, you know, as I cried out to God in my distress, I found my place, and it's, it's hard to describe because there's really no description. There was, you know, I'd say a room, but it really wasn't a room. But I found a place, God took me to a place where all of a sudden, not only was my mind made complete, but it was like all the, the normal bonds I have in my capacity to comprehend and think as a human being. All of a sudden in that place, all that was gone. All that was gone. And here I was sick with a body that was, was in the process of, you know, in that moment of decay and decline. And then all, all of a sudden there was, there was more life. All of a sudden I, I was in the presence of God and I was sitting at that table and my words begin to flow. And you know, I can't even remember what I said, but I do remember thinking, this this is amazing. Because there was life and there was joy and there was abundance. And And all I knew was that somehow I was beholding His glory and His love and His mercy in that moment. And I remember when when, when I came back from that place, I I grabbed my wife's hand and I said, it's worth it. It's worth it. I've always joked, "I'm, I'm not afraid of death. My heart is convinced of the resurrection. It's the process that gets me. That's gone. God is in every battle we face. The second is what sustained me was relationships. I couldn't talk. Heather would read the emails, the prayers from people that hadn't been in our lives for years when they found out. And they were just like, you know, you know, as a pastor, I'm like everybody else. I, I live my life. People wound me. People walk away from the ministries I've been to. People coming. You know, you don't understand any of these things as a pastor. Just part, people are just people. People that you thought were your best friends turn out to not be your best friends. You you disappoint them. Well, you whatever. So you you like you just like you. You just you build up a lifetime of wounds and hurt. And all this kind of stuff, but but in this time it's kind of like my wife and I have fought to to live a life of uh, being open to to be wounded, to be hurt, so that we might to the best we can. And it's a battle to, to be the love of Christ. So, so 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 over the years, all these people begin to to contact us, and then God gave me relationships all through this. And when I was moved down to UNC, a gentleman uh, from Delaware, black brother, black man who. Uh, was a systems analysis there at the hospital, retired, had a massive heart attack, was put in the room next to me. His name was Ron. He had six sisters, one boy, six sisters. Uh, they were all in Philadelphia. They couldn't get there. So Ron was alone, and I was kind of in my, you know, my crazy state. And I just felt like the Lord say, ask, ask Ron if you could pray for him. I didn't know this guy. You know, people can be weird nowadays about anything. So, But, you know, there's a curtain between us, and he had a heart attack. He wasn't going to do much. But, uh, you know, I said, Ron, you know, could I pray for you? And Ron uh, said, oh, yes, please do. And uh, I said, well, I'm over here praying for you. I just want to let you know. He said, thank you very much. So we started a conversation, you know, about Delaware growing up, you know, Alabama, you know, oh, there's all the racial implications between that. We we talked through all that, and then we started talking about the Lord, and Ron said, you know, I'm a, I'm a believer, he said, when I was a kid, I was in church, but he said, you know, I, I became successful and pursued a career, and I really haven't done anything with my faith since then, I'm ashamed to say, and da 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 you know, and somewhere in that conversation, the Lord said, Well, why don't you just now just pray for him? So I said, Ron, can I pray for you right now? And I said, He said, Yes, please, please do pray for me. So I prayed for him in the other room, and, you know, things got quiet. And then Ron said, Do you think you could get up and come over here? And uh, I said, Yeah, I can do that. So I, you know, or I was really weak. But <laughs> well, I got up and I walked around the bed on the other side, and Ron's a big dude. And, and Ron was standing up on the side of his bed, and he was standing like this. And he just said, I need a hug. (laughs) We just embraced each other and we prayed for one another. We talked together. After I left, you know, I got emails, I mean texts from Ron. I'm praying for you, Joe. I'm praying again, Joe. I'm looking to God for you, Joe. And you know, it's just like God just bound us together because of the relationships is what sustains us during the day of battle. When Heather and I were living overseas, we worked with an indigenous group called the Mapuche Indians and they were impoverished and they were part of a revolution, so to speak. And we were the ones that kind of were sent in to carry the gospel to him. And uh, they were so gracious. They were so poor and so kind to Heather and I as we, we tended to minister to them. Extremely, extreme poverty. And so uh, as soon as I got home, Heather began to get messages from these mapuche Indians saying, saying we, we've heard about Joe and we want to take up money and send it to you because we want to enter into Joe's suffering. And I'm going, What? What? These people who can't heat their homes. These people who who families of six sleep in a bed. These people who have never had a hot shower in their life. What? They're praying and they're taking up money for me. You know, I'm thinking only God does that. Only God does that. Last point don't withhold your heart. If you give your heart away today, in the day of battle, God will raise up standards of his faithfulness in people. Church, God has not only called you to grace he has set a table before you of abundance but you have to make a choice I want you to bow your heads and I know I'm speaking to the church primarily today but let me close by saying this If you will not plow your garden, sow your seeds, fill your mind and your life with the things of God, then the goodness of God will give you grace. But if you will choose today to ask for God, to give you the will to start the journey, to learn all that it means as a child of God for Christ to abide in you and you abide in Christ. The battles will come, but the joy will be yours. Father, take these feeble words, I pray. By your Spirit, Lord, we are changed. Only by your Spirit. But there's a point in time where Joshua says, Choose ye this day. And Father, today is for some a day of battle, for many others, it's just another day, and we don't understand the work of God in our lives. That even today, his desires to form the very image of his son in us that we might taste and see that the Lord is good. So that not only does the specter in the fear of death disappear, but Father, to know that even in our dying, there will be a song that we sing. There will be pleasures and peace in the midst of the battle Father I pray that your people would choose not to be robbed of their inheritance for that which Jesus died on the cross not only the forgiveness of sins but for life and life in abundance Father in closing I praise you I worship you I adore you Good is God. Glorious is God. You are my song. You are my peace. But Lord, none of that flows for me. None of it. None of it. None of it. It is in my emptiness I have discovered your fullness. May it be so for my brothers and sisters. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing in closing.